Hello and welcome to the Third Sector Podcast. I'm Rebecca Cooney, Senior Features and Analysis Writer. And I'm Russell Hargrave, Senior News Reporter at Third Sector, the UK's leading publication for the voluntary and not-for-profit sector. Each week we sit down for a quick-fire conversation about the interesting or unusual goings-on in the charity world. And this week we're discussing what happens when a charity wants to turn down or give back a donation. We'll be chatting to Sarah Williams, Legal Director at the law firm BDB Pittmans, about the potential legal issues charities may face. And in this week's Good News Bulletin, we'll be finding out how a poor season for the Bristol Bears rugby team is raising money for charity. But first, welcome to the show, Russell. Nice to have you on. Thank you, Rebecca. I feel very welcome. Excellent. Excellent. I believe you're a long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> yes, well, um, you probably got fed up with me messaging you privately about what I'd heard on the podcast, <laughs> so now I can actually come and speak on it. Well, in fairness, it was, it, was, it was positive. It wasn't like, oh, well, you could have done better. You could have done better. So that's, that's always nice. I kept all of those in the draft. I didn't send those. <laughs> oh, that's going to fester. Um, so, yeah, so Russell is our new reporter. Uh, we've said goodbye to Stephen. And yes, uh, Russell has joined us from another publication uh, within the charity sector. Sorry, Kirsty. <laughs> they shall remain nameless. But I hope what it means is that um, I've got a bit of background, bit of experience in the sector. I worked for charities for a long, long time before I ever became a reporter on them. Um, so it's been a, a bit of a crash course the first couple of weeks at Third Sector. And this is now my first podcast. It's really great to be along. Great. Shall we crack on with the show? Let's go for it. Last week, it emerged that Save the Children UK rejected a £750,000 donation from the international energy firm Neptune Energy on the grounds that it would breach the charity's recently adopted policies on accepting money linked to fossil fuels. Neptune Energy instead made the donation to the International Committee of the Red Cross and the International Rescue Committee, according to reports in the Telegraph newspaper. The donation will be used to address the humanitarian situation in Ukraine. Save the Children UK said it had decided earlier this month that it would stop taking donations as soon as possible from companies whose core business is in fossil fuels. They did, however, add a cheeky caveat to that, which is interesting. They said the only exception would be if someone wanted to make a large donation to their flexible Children's Emergencies Fund during their transitionary period away from fossil fuels. The reason, Save said, is that the donation would be used in a crisis where relatively little money is available, like in the Horn of Africa. So they were quite practical there, even when they were taking this moral stance. And in another story from recent weeks, the Imperial War Museum announced it had decided not to repay a donation from the Russian oligarch Roman Abramovich after taking advice from the government. Abramovich, who's the owner of Chelsea Football Club, was one of two dozen Russian nationals whose assets had been frozen by the UK government earlier this month in response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Abramovich made the donation of an undisclosed sum in 2018, and it went towards a £30 million upgrade of the charity's Holocaust galleries and Second World War galleries, part of the International War Museum's master plan to transform the museums. The charity apparently sought advice from the Department for Digital, Culture, Media and Sport after the government sanctioned Abramovich, who has ties to the Russian president, Vladimir Putin. And of course, this is not the first time or the first year that charities have had to decide whether they're better off saying no and losing out on a donation or whether they should risk being seen to kind of tacitly approve of or even profit from something that might be a bit, shall we say, dubious. Dubious indeed. And the big example that leaps to mind, of course, is the President's Club. For those of us who think back to 2018, that was when the Financial Times sent an undercover reporter to um, the charity's big annual gala bash. Um, And what they reported was, look, this was a men-only fundraising event where donors were then accused of sexually harassing their female hostesses. The money raised by the gala had for a number of years been donated to a range of charities, mainly organisations that were focused on health and children. Um, and that included Great Ormond Street Hospital Children's Charity, um, which is so commonly known as GOSH. They pledged initially to return the money, 
and then they backtracked, saying that it planned to keep a total of about half a million, £530,000 that they'd raised between 2009 and 2016. Right, and it said at the time that it made the decision, quote, following feedback from our supporters, guidance from the Charity Commission, and taking into account the impending closure of the President's Club Charitable Trust, which is a good point, there would have been nobody to give the money back to. Our thinking has always been guided by our aim to maximise the support which we give the hospital and the families it cares for. The Charity Commission had previously warned that handing back donations was very complicated and often not legally possible either. So it seems that handing back money that you've already received is a little more complex than saying no to a donation before it actually reaches your bank account. And we've had a few of those stories over the years as well. So memorably in 2018, we also ran a story about a charity which supports seriously ill children in Wales. Um, And that rather firmly rejected money raised by a local fun run because the fun run involved participants blacking up and dressing as African beach traders. Um, So not surprisingly, the charity Cuddles was, was not into that, to put it mildly. In a statement, it said it was grateful to have been chosen as the charitable cause for that year's event, but described the costumes as, quote, highly objectionable and deeply offensive. And it said it did not want to be associated with, quote, racist, discriminatory or abusive behaviour, which is fair enough. And it's not the only time that charities have had to wrestle with these sorts of decisions. There was an interesting case back in 2011, going back even further, when a number of charities, including the Salvation Army, the RSPCA, they all rejected offers to advertise free in the final edition of the News of the World, which was closing down after claims of phone hacking. Um, WaterAid, one of the charities that was approached about free advertising, they said it wouldn't be appropriate. And ActionAid, they said that they thought, quote, the toxic brand would be a problem for the charity's patrons. In the end, the Disasters Emergency Committee did accept a free advert. They launched an appeal for a drought in East Africa. But even then, a spokeswoman said that although it in no way condoned the unconscionable behaviour of some News of the World journalists and executives, there was, quote, a humanitarian imperative for it to raise the maximum income to help those affected by the drought. Right. And for me, actually, that makes a lot of sense that they are there specifically for emergencies. They're in an emergency situation. They probably get to be less picky. Um, And I don't think they have the same branding issues to worry about because they don't kind of exist as a charity outside of these emergency appeals. Um, I also I just really enjoyed the DEC's response to this. And I, I think actually maybe this should be something charities do regularly rather than turning down donations from controversial sources over fears that like of things like they're going to be used to help whitewash the organization. I think they should accept them. And then also, say this is everything that's wrong with you here's why we fundamentally disagree with you about how you made this money and you know and for companies that that they should understand that that's part of the deal if you really want to give to a cause because it's the right thing to do not because you want to boost your own reputation then perhaps maybe you should be prepared to have charities tell you exactly what they think of you i'm sure that's not a communication strategy that anybody's going to be adopting anytime soon but i think it would be great um, and I mean, as donations go, it's probably not the most generous gift, is it? Like, okay, advertising space is expensive, and generally, the donation of advertising space is a, is a is an important donation. But I don't imagine actually that many corporate advertisers were clamouring to be seen in the pages of the last edition of a newspaper at the heart of a national scandal. So it was a generous gift, but maybe not with too many strings attached for some charities. Too right. So what advice is there out there for charities who find themselves in this position? So in the wake of the President's Club scandal, the Chartered Institute of Fundraising, or the Institute of Fundraising as it was then, released a guide for charities on accepting, refusing and returning donations. The guide said that while ethics and values were important factors in reaching decisions on potentially problematic donations, they shouldn't be the decisive factors. So it said that in order to reject donations, charities must be able to show that accepting particular gifts would have a negative effect on the achievement of their purposes. 
The guidance said, quote, charities will have to weigh up the potential positive and negative consequences to make a judgment call about what will be in the organisation's best interest, it says. The value of a donation may not be worth the cost in potential loss of public trust and confidence in the charity, a detrimental impact to the reputation of the organisation, or a conflict with the charity's ethics and values, which could lead to a loss of support in the future. But it said there is often no straightforward right or wrong answer. That's right. And the Charity Commission said something similar in its advice. Uh, We asked the Commission for a comment on this issue. And Paul Latham, the Director of Policy, said the regulator welcomed the fact that charities were increasingly thinking about how they can best live their values, even if it sometimes meant that trustees had to make difficult decisions around receiving donations. Latham said charities are and always will be independent. It's not for the Commission to instruct charities to reject or return donations that help them in the furtherance of their charitable purposes. Instead, as a regulator, the Charity Commission expects trustees to act in their charity's best interests and within the legal framework, we have provided guidance to help trustees make informed decisions that are right for their charity. To discuss the legal issues surrounding the rejection or return of donations, we're joined by Sarah Williams, Legal Director at the law firm BDB Pittman. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. Um, So when we're thinking about these things, when might a charity consider if it's right to return or reject a donation they've received? This is a really good question. And I mean, I suppose the starting point is just to say that generally charities won't want to refuse or uh, reject um, donations. And that would certainly be the commission starting point as well. So the norm is to accept what people um, give you. And this is a case of really looking at um, the exceptions to the general rule. So, you know, at what point is it not in a charity's interest to take money and essentially to lick the gift horse firmly in the mouth and start asking questions about whether you should or you shouldn't? You know, there are obviously circumstances where you should consider this, which is why it's so important to have good, um, you know, due diligence processes in place so that you can properly identify when you might have an issue, you know, if you've got a legal impediment or something else, proceeds of crime, whatever it is, to make you really stop and think about um, that donation in particular. No, that, that that makes sense. So so the issues there that we're talking about there are kind of, you know, it could be that, that there might actually be a legal issue of this, this is the proceed of crime, but also reputational issues as well. Is that something that charities consider? Yeah, they definitely do. I mean, you know, it's really topical at the moment because, you know, we're looking at the war in Ukraine and, you know, Russian oligarchs being put on sanctions lists and people starting to feel um, really uncomfortable with the association with certain people or certain subject matters, whatever it is. Um, And situations can really quickly arise, you know, with social media and the speed of news, you know, look at Will Smith on the... Mm. um, at the Oscars the other night, you know, J.K. Rowling, you know, this this can happen really quickly overnight that a charity can have received money, um, you know, even maybe a couple of years ago and suddenly be thinking, oh, um, should we be associated with that? You know, it's not always that um, something comes up in the news and you immediately have an idiot reaction and you say, oh, we can't have that money. We can't be associated. It's a much longer, more considered process than that. We're also looking at um, challenges um, at the moment with like COVID-19 and the cost of living crisis coming on where people really feel a squeeze and charity is going to be really um, feeling under pressure maybe to accept funds from from donors Um, you know and they might think oh we might sidestep some of our processes we would otherwise have in place but actually it's really important to properly scrutinize what comes in have your policies in place and just think in advance um, about what you might do 
So it's always easier to to think um, when you've got a framework in a high pressure pressure situation than if you haven't thought about it before. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And the it does seem to me there's a bit of a divide between sort of the, the sort of stories we get where charities kind of outright reject a donation they haven't had yet. Or ones where they say, actually, we'd like to return a donation from a couple of years ago or that we've already accepted. Is it more straightforward then to reject and to decide to reject a donation than it is to return one, do you think? The short answer is yes. (laughs) Um, But either way, it can raise really difficult questions for trustees. Um, There are different questions and rules to think about in each case. Um, And it's a little bit of a misnomer, this point, actually, about um, returning donations. So if you think first, refusing a donation, you're looking at someone is saying, uh, we'd like to give you money, um, you know who it is, um, and you're thinking before you've got the money about whether it's in your best interest to, to take that money in. It's a very different situation where the money is already in. So what you're really saying is it's not about returning a donation. You're essentially talking about spending charitable funds um, for purposes outside your charitable objects. So, you know, the money's in. You might well have spent it on something. You might have spent it. You know, it might be gone. You're really talking about we've got money um, and we're now thinking we've got an issue with money which has come in. Should we rather than spend it on our beneficiaries, which is our primary purpose, should we, for whatever reason, actually give that back? So that puts you in two different camps. And I think it is really important to see that distinction early on. I mean, when you're thinking about refusing, so Save the Children, you know, is a really good example, because this seems to be an example um, where they've got a policy, um, they've thought about it in advance, they've thought... um, we uh, don't want to be accepting donations from companies linked to fossil fuels. So I think it was Neptune Energy in that case. Neptune Energy wanted to give them, you know, a lot of money, £750,000. But they, they've thought about it in advance. and They've weighed up the risks of accepting that money and, you know, how that might go down with stakeholders, um, other donors, you know, how it might look their reputation. And they've made a decision not to take it in. That's a very different situation than if they'd already got it in the bank. <laughs> Um, as it were. If you're going to return funds, you've still obviously got to be satisfied and show it's in your best interest of your charity to do that. I mean, that is the kind of gold standard of decision making. Are you satisfied? Whatever you're doing is in your best interests. Have you carefully evaluated the evidence and looked at all the risks, etc.? But returning, and I've already said, is is different. You know, the legal point, if you like, is that you're obliged to spend money on your objects. Uh, But the primary point here is, do you have the power to, to do what you're proposing and you're most likely going to have to seek charity commission authority or advice in those cases some cases i suppose may not have been a donation at all so if a donor didn't have capacity or something um that would be a different circumstance you'd be yeah if it's an invalid gift for whatever reason and the evidence is clear uh, you might not need to go back to the commission uh, in that in that case um or a donor mistake you know someone's added an extra zero um <laughs> which in some ways would be nice um someone gives you a thousand instead of a hundred um in that kind of situation you're going to have probably a moral obligation in legal terms we talk about ex gratia payments in that case and that's where you're thinking um you know we know that that wasn't intended to be that sum. Um, We feel that it was a genuine mistake. We ought to give it back. You probably still do need Charity Commission consent. Um, In fact, you will in most cases. They... The Commission operates um, de minimis, unofficial sort of de minimis levels um, relating to extra gracious payments. Um, 
which actually will be put on a statutory footing under the Charities Act that's just come in. But, you know, there are different, there are all sorts of different circumstances. So I suppose for trustees, you have to think about what is the situation? Have we already received the money? If we haven't, we we still have to look at best interest, reasonable decision making, evidence based, etc, etc. If we have, we're more likely to need Charity Commission input. This is, you know, more serious because the money is already with us. Um, and, you know, depending on what channel you get rooted down, you might have to take different actions. And the first place, I guess, that most charities, if they had to weigh these things up, they might Google it, might have a look at the Charity Commission website for its guidance. How helpful is the regulator's guidance on this? Um, do you think it's sort of pretty well, pretty well organised at the moment? I think, you know, the Charity Commission is there to help people comply you know and they want to put tools in place to help people navigate these circumstances but in some levels in some ways you know it's pretty high level um because they're giving you the kind of broad parameters but essentially this is um going to end up being a decision for the trustees yes you may need regulatory engagement but you need to um, make that decision at the end of the day about what you think is in the best interest of your charity to do um there is guidance about um accepting refusing donations and there was a blog actually which also came out following the president's club um scandal which you might recall you know this obviously was kind of big news the next day so people wake up immediately having you know potentially having reporters on their doorstep saying what are you going to do um and and the guidance was was issued to help them to help charities navigate um those questions because obviously they a lot of charities have gone to the commission saying what should we do i mean i think charities largely ended up accepting um, and retaining funds at the end of the day. But, you know, and, and actually another point, thinking about the regulator, which is important here, is that sometimes um, there's guidance there on, well, there's guidance there on accepting, refusing donations, there's guidance on due diligence, which is really important to, to be aware of, um, and how to identify what you need to do, looking at your donors to, you know, weed out the dodgy ones from the, you know, bog standard ones. Um, but serious incident reporting might also be relevant. So you may also, you know, be in a situation where receiving the funds or holding on to the funds somehow may lead you um, to to end up in the paper yourself, um, reputational damage, and then you might want to, or you you might need to make a serious incident report to the Charity Commission because there is a significant risk of or actual damage to your reputation. There's also Chartered Institute of Fundraising Guidance, which um, charities should be aware of because that's that's quite practical too. Mm. And it, it strikes me that a lot of the guidance around this, it feels very similar to some of the the fear that there was around GDPR and data protection to kind of draw on a completely different subject, that a lot of the guidance is essentially you have to weigh this up for yourself and you have to make the call on a case-by-case basis and there's not going to be a magic right answer. The Charity Commission fairy isn't going to appear and say, yes, you've got it right. Um, there's And that feels like a very difficult position for a lot of charities to be in actually um so yeah so what if when you're advising charities around this sort of thing what should charities weigh up when they are making this decision yeah that's really true and i think it is important to know that there is no one size fits all here and but also you know there is there's charity commission guidance on making a decision even you know (laughs) have it make a decision a reasonable decision you know a decision that a reasonable body of trustees could come to but this means you have to have um, processes in place to help you take those decisions. If you, I mean, it's like anything in life. If you take a knee-jerk um, reaction, you know, on the hoof thinking, you're 
probably not going to come, you might end up coming to the same decision, but you're not going to be able to evidence how you got there properly or, or have a good um, process to show why it was reasonable, why the trustees thought the way they did. Um, and the commission is always keen, you know, if, if you do end up at the short end of, uh, you know, the charity commission looking at you, they'll want to see minutes of decisions. They'll want to see, um, you know, minutes of meetings. They'll want to see policy documents. They'll want to see, you know, what, evidence did you actually look at to consider whether this donor was or was not an issue for your charity so just having a knee-jerk reaction saying oh this looks bad let's drop it like a hot potato isn't necessarily in the long run going to to work work for you the the overall thing that charities need to look at are best interests so you're really weighing up how how do you determine if receiving money is not in the best interest of a charity when you know, the overriding goal will be to get as much money in as you possibly can so that you can spend it on your beneficiaries. So how are you going to make a decision that it's not in the interest of the charity to take that money? You know, the Save the Children's story is a good example here, I think. You know, they've taken a decision not to accept funds from certain sources. Other charities might well accept them. You have to look in your context. What are your objectives? You know, um, I think I said earlier, you know, um, a cancer charity might not want to accept money from a organisation a tobacco company um an environmental um charity might have serious concerns or reservations if somebody wanted to donate cryptocurrency to them because of the carbon footprint associated with the mining of crypto cryptocurrency so you can see that there are those factors need to be considered but i do think this is where it's helpful to have you know a donations policy plenty of organizations do have one and i think you know increasingly you should have one in place to reduce the stress of decision making in, in the heat of the moment and to give you a framework um and also to do practical things like manage press and media lines um you know if the media call who's going to speak to them and what are they going to say you know how are you going to buy yourself a bit more time <laughs> to, to work your way through if you need to um do you need to make a serious incident report? You know, if you find your, the funds are linked to proceeds of crime or whatever it is, um, you know, do you need to engage with, with the Charity Commission? Loads of stuff going on there, Sarah. So ideas about um, charities making sure they have their policies in place, show their workings um, so that they've got a bit of a record to show the Charity Commission if the worst happens um, and sort of being across the guidance and the legal obligations. Is, is there any other advice aside from that? that you think charities should take on board if they're ever faced with this? I, I think this is only this is a question that's only going to come up more um, on charity boards. And I think this is a result of the rise, you know, of social media. And we've got, we're off the back of COVID-19. We're coming to the cost of living crisis. Um, charities are under pressure. Um, I think more than ever, they really need to look at their risk management framework. This is all about good governance, you know, whether it's a decision on, donations or anything else a charity does go back to basics and just think you know what's in the best interest of the organization um you know what are our decision making processes here how can we make our own lives easier by thinking about things in advance um so we've just got a framework you're not going to have thought of every possible situation out there but just give yourself some guidelines uh you know to help to help you and make sure your trustees are around the table and taking these things seriously so that you can justify you know why you've taken the decision that you've taken and there is there are no right and wrong answers here you know if you if you need advice take advice look at the guidance um you know do what you can to put yourself in a good position so that you can make these decisions, you know, as smoothly and as quickly as possible um, without impacting your 
activities and operations um, and, and reducing any reputational um, blowback that might arise uh, as a result of whatever decision that you make. Brilliant. That all sounds great. Uh, well, Sarah Williams, thank you very much for joining us. Each week, we're bringing you a good news bulletin, positive or quirky news stories that we've spotted in the sector. Rebecca, what have you got for us? I've got a story which is good news for a hospice charity, but actually quite bad news for the Bristol Bears rugby team and their young fan, Toby. So Toby is 11 and brilliantly, he has pledged to run one kilometre for every point his team concedes in order to raise money. Now, this story was in the BBC and they put it rather tactfully. Uh, They said that the Bears have had an inconsistent season, which means that so far, Toby has racked up 493 kilometres and has raised almost £10,000 for St Peter's Hospice. Uh, The hospice cared for his grandmother June before she died of cancer in February 2020. Uh, Yeah, Toby has said the Bears' poor form has made his challenge tougher than expected. Um, He's from Frampton Cotterill in South Gloucestershire and he says, when I run, I often think of Bristol's defence and how my legs are going to hurt this week and how they can defend better. Which, mate, I bet you do. Um, Yeah, uh, he apparently plans to keep going till the end of the season, which I think is incredibly brave um and yeah best of luck to him and obviously ten thousand pounds is an amazing achievement for a charity but you know you sort of hope the bristol bears maybe pick up their performance a little bit and save toby's aching legs just a tiny bit yeah i'm I'm pretty impressed with what toby is doing but i'm I'm worried that if this doesn't get any better for the rugby team then he's basically going to be running from now until 2027 Well, that's all from us. We'll be back with another episode soon. So make sure you subscribe to this, the Third Sector podcast, on your favourite podcast app to be the first to know about it. Until then, I'm Russell Hargrave. And I'm Rebecca Cooney. Thank you to our guest, Sarah Williams, and to our producer, Lindsay Riley at Rethink Audio. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.